You're listening to The Masters with Tiffany and Company on Monocle 24. Come with us as we meet pioneers from the fields of design, art, fashion, sport, music and more. Diverse fields, a range of talents. What unites all these trailblazers is a certain mastery. A mastery of craftsmanship, of technique, of materials, of innovation to drive what they do. We'll hear about their life and their work and hopefully understand just a little bit more about how those notions have shaped them. Maybe too we'll divine a sense of the philosophy that's brought them here and might just inspire us, in however small a way, to follow in their storied footsteps. We began last time with a past master of design, craft and innovation, Reed Krakoff, Tiffany's chief artistic officer. Today, we're following the path that Reed mapped out for us as we meet world-renowned tattoo artist Scott Campbell, who's the owner of legendary Save Tattoos in Brooklyn, New York City. His designs adorn the bodies of many famous customers, from Marc Jacobs to Courtney Love, but his craft doesn't end at the tip of the needle. Campbell's a visual artist too, known for his sculptures made out of American dollars and his watercolours too, and he's collaborated with brands like Hennessy. Monocle's Carlotta Ribello meets Campbell in his Los Angeles studio. I was just kind of living the lifestyle I wanted to live, and um, which was one where it without a job you know I, I was just a grimy punk rock kid just moved to san francisco i couldn't really do much other than draw pictures and you know i was the guy who would always decorate everybody's jean jackets and leather jackets and draw band logos on on them and uh you know eventually it just went from drawing pictures on jackets to drawing pictures on their arms and and yeah i started tattooing out of my house and my landlord kept hitting me up for money every month, so I just started charging money and called it my job. Really, it was just a matter of just getting my hands dirty and figuring it out, and then eventually I, I had some really amazing mentors and people that I worked alongside that I learned a lot from, and for the first half of my 20s, it was amazing. You know, I got to just wander the world and, and tattoo in all these different places, and you know, even though nobody knew who I was, it was kind of a good thing. You know, I, I moved to a different town every six months and got to reinvent myself in each place and, and kind of figure out who I wanted to be from that. For most art forms, you learn by copying. You know, you just learn by, you know, focusing on this artist and, and just mimicking what they do to learn the logic and kind of mechanics and ABCs of what they do. And then you go to a different one and you're like, okay, I'm going to copy them and learn how they do. And then, you know, then through approaching drawing and tattooing through all these different people's styles, you start to form your own and kind of then find your own voice. And then eventually you move to New York and then the big break came by surprise through your door. Yeah, I really love traveling and I, I always thought I was just going to be this wandering gypsy tattooer forever and then I I went to New York for a weekend and fell so in love with it you know because New York's one of the few places in the world where you can sit still but still feel like you're moving you know you really felt like you're this like river of humanity and so so yeah so I I set up shop and and you know opened a tattoo shop there and really that just became a lightning rod for so many things it was like once I sat still all these people found me and I just became a part of this incredible community, like in the, the art scene downtown in the early 2000s. Yeah. 
do you take inspiration or guidelines from I don't know any something you read or from history itself is there anything that comes to mind um, when you're preparing to work on someone one of the things I love about tattooing is that you never truly have a blank canvas you know because even when you have somebody who's like do whatever you want you know like whatever you want you have, I give you full freedom you have this story in front of you you know you have this person with a history and it's so awesome to be able to have something to respond to you know that it's never really a blank canvas there's always something there that you get to interpret or react to and, and yeah so you kind of you always know where to start you know every person has layers of truth that they present to people you know there's the superficial layer and then there's like and then there's layers that they don't even know about you know and so my my goal in doing tattoos is to try and give them a tattoo that's as honest to them as possible, you know, and try to really understand why they're there, you know, like what are they going through emotionally in their life that, that they want to capture, or, you know, like how can, like how can this tattoo that I give them make them feel more like themselves than they were when they walked in the door. Now there was a, you had a project where you went into a prison in Mexico how did that come about was you were you just curious about you know the how much tattooing is a part of prison life or how did it at all come about um you know i mean i think it you know i've been tattooing for 23 years now and you know tattooing has changed a lot like when i started tattooing it was very much like underground fringe culture and um you know and that i saw it go from that to, you know, every channel had a tattoo reality show playing and, and it was very much like mall culture and pop culture and, you know, on fashion runways. And so I think in seeing this craft that I really love and that's precious to me um, become so public and, and at times very diluted, I was really craving tattooing that had a visceral emotional reason for being there you know i wanted to to i wanted to be around tattoos that had a real purpose beyond aesthetic and so you know and prison culture is i mean i've I, one of my deepest d darkest fears is you know being in prison you know that idea of of someone else being in control of my physical being is you know terrifying and so but so i went to prison I went there just to document tattoos, um, but very quickly kind of um, connected with a lot of the prisoners there, and they were really excited to have someone that took a genuine interest in them and didn't just see them as animals. And, uh, and so I just ended up hanging out for a couple months there and tattooing a lot of the inmates and really, um, yeah, it was, a really, it was a really amazing experience. And, um, and so, yeah, so it was me. I just went there trying to find tattooing that had a deeper meaning and like a real, a real emotional like purpose. As an artist, I was very curious to understand, you know, what someone in that position would want to carve into their body. You know, what is still sacred at that point when, when everything's been taken away from you and you have no future, like what's important, you know, after all that. So, so yeah, so it was, that was really. I found what I was looking for. Yeah. 
I was going to ask you, did that inspire, that experience ins inspire your work afterwards? Not only as a tattoo artist, obviously, just as an artist. For sure. I mean, I think I definitely grew a lot as a human being from that experience and from meeting those people. Yeah, I mean, I think growing as a person and as an artist are kind of the same thing. You know, like I, I just as an artist, you try to communicate truths, you know, as honestly as you can. And it just taught me like a, a deeper, a different truth, you know, with, with the people that I met. Now, looking completely to the other end of the work you do, you've collaborated with, you know, Mark Jacobs, with Hennessy. Tell me about those collaborations with, you know, brands that are at that level. How did they come about and how different is your work when you're involved with them? Um, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was, you know, in approaching collaborations like that, it's not indifferent from, from, it's not different than tattooing a person, you know, whereas instead of a person's story, you look at this brand story and the brand's priorities and kind of what the voice is and, and what kind of their vocabulary of that brand is and, and, uh, and yeah, try to give my interpretation of that. Uh, it's, um, but yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, it was definitely, you know, working with Louis Vuitton and everything was really, it was the first time my work had really resonated on a global scale, you know, where like my drawings all of a sudden were, this was, you know, pre Instagram or any of that. So it was, it was the first time I put something out in the world and then, you know, all of a sudden started hearing about it from all corners of the globe. Um, but it was, it was exciting, you know, it was definitely, like I said, as an artist who, you know, had just made things for individuals for so long. It was, it was really amazing to kind of see it, see it go so far reaching. Is there something particular in um, the materials you use for both uh, fields of your work um, that, you know, you, I guess provenance is the question here. Is provenance important for the work you do? Um, I think, a process is, is priority for me. Like I've never, you know, I know there's so many artists where the idea is the thing and it doesn't matter how it's, if it's digitally printed or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like the, you know, it's just the idea is what gives it its power. But I'm really, I'm kind of like, I like the magic and the alchemy in, in the process. And I feel like the works that I make, it's really important for me that it feels like an artifact of a happening, you know, like it feels affected, you know, like with the dollar bills, I like that those dollar bills have a history and they were in people's pockets. And then like I got them and then I cut them up and they did it, you know, whereas if you just took a picture of that work and, and put hung that on your wall, it's not the same, even though I know it still captures the same idea, but I really think there's magic in, in having something that has been affected itself, like like really, so they're they're like artifacts. Um, how important is then craftsmanship and technique for all the work you do? Um, it's everything. I, I mean, for me, the act of making things myself helps me understand why I'm making them. You know, like like I'll have an idea, and also like, you know, through the act of making it, it changes direction you know like if I was like oh I had this idea and then I just like clicked print on it and had it fabricated um, it's not going to be 
as deep and rich as if I make it myself because through making it, I learn about it and it changes and, and every step of the way and every hour that I spend in that process, it turns into something slightly different. So, so the final product is just, I feel like richer and deeper and more interesting when you really put in the hours of making it with your own hands. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you know, when you first started out and that you had the chance to work with some people that became mentors for you. I guess my question is, what piece of advice has been passed down to you that has influenced your work or even your life and, um, and for, from whom? Mark Jacobs is really one of the more inspiring creatives I've ever worked with. Uh, his loyalty to his intuition is really caught me off guard when I first saw it. Uh, what I mean is, you know, like he, he has an idea and that he's passionate about and he will not execute that idea at 90%. He will never dilute it. Like it has to be what he feels is the purest version of that. And, um, you know, I, I guess it's just, you know, through so many creative processes, especially when things are for sale, you know, in fashion or, you know, like when there's a, a market that you have to accommodate, it's just so normal that you have to dilute your vision and, and kind of turn it down, tone it down or like adjust it to accommodate the audience. The fact that he was like, he doesn't care if he's the only person in the world that likes it. This is what he wants to make. And, and he'll do that is really, I really learned that like, that's how you become a cultural leader by not accommodating the audience, but by listening to yourself and teaching the audience why your int intuition is, is correct. And, um, and so, yeah, he was, he was really one of the big ones that I think about on a, on a daily basis. I mean, I, I do think of, you know, he didn't say it to my ears. He said it to a lot of people, but David Lynch, I don't know if you've ever read his like catching the big fish. Um, but he talks a lot about when he was younger, how he made a very conscious decision to live the art life, you know, and that, I mean, this was when he was, you know, he had a paper route and he was doing a paper route to pay for the production of Eraserhead. And, um, but he just decided, he's like, I'm going to make movies and I'm going to do it however I can. And nothing is more important than that. And just hearing someone make a commitment of that magnitude, um, you know, I, I understood it's like, oh yeah, you have to sacrifice everything, you know, if, if you want to do anything really, um, yeah, really innovative. Well, speaking of, <laughs> of innovation, it's a bit of an overused uh, word, but I guess yeah. how, uh, <laughs> in, what is the essence of innovation for you? Um, oh man, innovation. I just mean, just bringing something new to the table. You know, I mean, obviously, um, you know, in any genre, be it tattooing or painting or music, you know, because of social media now, like it, they're all global conversations, you know, like I'll do a tattoo, I'll post a tattoo on Instagram today. And, you know, three days later, I'll see some kid in Indonesia who like did a tattoo that is like his version of that, you know, and it's just, it's, it's amazing how, whereas styles of tattooing and artwork and music used to be developed in these 
geographic bubbles, you know, where there would be like a European style or American style or New York style or LA style. And, you know, things like Instagram have, have eliminated that. It's just a global conversation that is happening in real time. And so I think, you know, innovation now is, is just seeing where that conversation is in any of those mediums and pushing it forward a little bit, adding something new to it to be like, okay, I'm going to take what people are talking about now and shed a different light on it and then throw it back into that pot. And then somebody else will pick it up and, and add their idea to it. And, um, so yeah, it's kind of like just one big global collaboration at this point. Now I have a qu uh, three questions to ask yeah. you that we're asking everyone that's taking part in this series. Uh -huh. um, the first one is, how would you describe American design? American design. Um, I mean, on the heels of what I just said, it's kind of like American design is European design is Asian design. It's kind of all the same now. Um, but yeah, I don't think I, I really do think it's a global conversation now. It, geography is obsolete when America was this incubator, you know, that that was kind of its own bubble, then, you know, it would develop its own style. But now, I mean, there's kids in London doing Americana tattoos as well as any American in the 1950s ever did, you know? And so it's really, yeah, I, I don't, I think geography just is irrelevant now. How would you describe Tiffany? And do you have any personal stories associated with the brand? I mean, Tiffany, it, it's funny. My wife would have more stories where, I mean, she, my wife is from New York, Upper East Side, you know, born and raised. So Tiffany's is very much a part of like her childhood. I mean, there's few brands that are as iconic American luxury brands as, as Tiffany's. And I think, um, you know, with Reed at the helm now, it's really exciting. You know, I think he has a very sincere, a very inspired intention that he's bringing to like this next evolution of Tiffany's. And, you know, I think it's hard for a brand that that's, that is that kind of established to be adventurous creatively, but at the same time you have to evolve because culture evolves. And so I think, I think Tiffany's has really done a really good job of evolving in a way that doesn't forget who they were in the past. And um, do you usually wear jewelry? And if so, how do you pick your pieces? I don't wear jewelry. Um, I've obviously decorated my body in other ways. Um, but I do have, uh, Reed gave me a, a Tiffany's silver Sharpie marker holder uh, not long ago. And it's one of my favorite things on my desk. Scott Campbell there in conversation with Monocle's Carlotta Ribello. You can find out more about Tiffany's men's collection by heading to tiffany.com and searching for men's jewellery. In the episodes ahead, we'll be meeting more inspirational innovators across the fields of design, art, music and more to find out how they've mastered their craft to become industry leaders. Next week, we'll meet the artist Vic Muniz. But that's all for today's edition. Thanks to Carlotta Ribello reporting for Monocle in Los Angeles and to our editor here in London, Holly Fisher. I'm Tom Edwards. This is The Masters with Tiffany & Company on Monocle 24. Thanks for listening. <laughs>